everybody. Welcome to Theology on Tap. Go ahead and grab a seat. If this is your first time, we're so glad that you're here. My name is Justin Hare. This is my dear friend Brian McGreevy, and this is Theology on Tap. Uh, so what we'll do is we're a little late getting started, so we're going to do uh, a, a, our 20-25 minute little talk that we do each, each time on a, a given theme. Uh, and then we'll open it up for questions. You'll see these little sheets of paper all around the room. This is, uh, particularly the top part, uh, is the way that you can actually interact tonight. So if you have a phone on you, you can scan this QR code and you can submit any question you want at all. There's nothing off limits and you will see all other people's submitted questions. Go ahead and like the ones that you're interested in and we'll have, who's doing the questions tonight? Colton's gonna do them. And so he'll pose the ones that come up. So that's kind of how the evening will go. Uh, if you wanna join our email list, feel free to do that. This has been so fun for us. We've done this now just almost coming up on a year. We gotta do something for our one year yes. like celebration starting in like June. I don't know, open to suggestions. It's gonna be great. We will sell advanced tickets for them. But <laughs> yes, we should actually. But this is going to be a little awkward because we don't have a single picture, so nobody believes that we do anything other than the audio that's online. Which, by the way, if you haven't, you can go online. Tell us a little bit about the podcast that we have and social media and all that. So what you want to do if you uh, were not paying attention or fell asleep uh, during Theology on Tap or, God forbid, you had to miss it for some reason, um, it is actually up on the Apple Podcast. Uh, if you search under Theology on Tap, St. Philip's Church, it should show up. Or you can go to the St. Philip's Church website, and the podcast is there. We're in the process of also trying to get the playlist on there. Uh, there's a little short blurb. It's a great thing to be able to share with friends. A number of people we know have shared it with friends who live in other places. So we've got some followers in other places. And if you go to the uh, St. Philip's website or search on, on Apple Podcasts, under St. Philip's, there are also a bunch of other good podcasts there, um, so have fun with that. It's crazy to me. When we started this, I didn't think, I mean, I didn't know anybody would be interested. I'm so glad that they are, but I was just in Sumter for lunch today at another church, and they were like, we're tuning in to the stuff oh, yeah. that you're doing, which is, blows my mind. Yeah, so, there are people in Canada that listen to Theology on Tap. It's very, so. yeah, it's crazy. So it actually will help other people if you share that podcast. Yeah, if you share it like on your social media or go especially on the Apple site and leave a review, um, preferably a positive review, um, that will help search engines pick it up for people yeah. as well. So I'm going to try and take our first picture. If y'all could somehow like scoot in and actually, yeah, we're going to we're gonna do this right here. We're going to get down. We're going to squat it. This is terrible. Is it? Yeah, you're, get in there. Get in there. What do you mean, point five? <laughs> I'm a millennial. I don't know what this means. What is point? Can somebody do this the right way? Come on. Yeah, Robin. <laughs> what is point five? I don't think you can do point five. Oh, I had it. Out zoom. Now more people can be. Yeah. Yeah. Now more people can get in there. Wow, that's amazing. All right. Yeah, it's a little blurry. Let's get over this way. See if that works. This is this is exactly what I had in mind. Perfect. <laughs> All right. Thank you for humoring us. Now we have our Christmas card. Yeah. Yeah. Give us your addresses. We'll all send that to you. <clears throat> All right. 
On to the good stuff. Um, yes. So what's the theme tonight, Justin? Tonight, we're actually going to be starting a, um, a series a little bit, just a, a few weeks now, of talking about finding purpose in life. That's been one of the common themes we've looked at. And uh, for tonight, we're going to be talking about this notion of freedom and the idea of living uh, a fulfilling, free life. I think that's something that we're often after. So uh, how would you talk about uh, what, what the Christian understanding of freedom is? Uh, I think that is one of the least understood things actually in the Christian faith. Uh, I think many people think that coming to Christ means that you lose your freedom. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's actually completely the opposite. And I think one of the ways to frame it is to think about what are you for? What are you made for? So in our family, we have this sort of weird tradition from one of our relatives that we get a mystery gift every year. And you open it, it's usually some sort of strange looking object. And you have to try to figure out what it's actually for. And so you come up with all sorts of guesses, but there's a solution. And when you find out what it's for, you're like, oh, that's amazing that that thing can actually be made to do that. And as Christians, we believe that we are made for something. We're not just random accidents. We're not just products of the primal goo, but we are, we are made for something. And so the best way to know what you're made for is to be in relationship with the person that made you. And there is a freedom in that that is glorious. And scripture even talks about it in that way. It talks about the glorious freedom of the sons of God, which would be the daughters of God as well. Yeah. And um, it is, it's a more beautiful story than what the world paints. And if you will permit me just one little C.S. Lewis excursion um, I will here. permit you all the C.S. Lewis excursions you want. All right. Who in here has either read The Line, The Witch, or The Wardrobe or seen the movie? Okay. Oh, y'all are very good. Um, so a lot of people, when you look at that story, people would say Edmund is the person who is trying to express his freedom and live into it. Because he wants his own way. He doesn't want to have to be conformed to what the family does. Um, he wants his Turkish delight when he wants it. And what he ends up doing is becoming enslaved to the white witch and to addiction. And if you have anybody in your life who struggles with addiction, um, you know how most of those people start off thinking, this is something that's going to free me, and it ends up enslaving them instead. And I think that looking at the character of Edmund in there is exactly, it's such a great parable of what the world promises with freedom that it absolutely cannot deliver. Yeah. I think that's such a good picture. I mean, in some ways, sin in general, it's a word that sometimes you hear, I guess, but don't really know what it means. And the idea of promising much and delivering little and being drawn to it, right? Like addiction. I think there's all of that in, in every sin in some ways, yep. right? Yep. Um, well, going back to the idea of what we're made for, there's a really old uh, catechism, which is... The Westminster. The Westminster yes. Catechism. What seminary did you go to, which, Justin? I've heard of it did you since go I went to Westminster. Westminster Seminary. Yeah. And so, but you may have heard of this. The very first question is, what is the chief end of man, which is a kind of an odd way to speak because it was written in the 17th century. So what is the purpose of man? Yeah, what's the goal? What's the, what's the meaning of life, right? And I'm curious how you would answer that. These guys, uh, looking to scripture, 
they answered it very concisely. They said the chief end is to glorify, to make much of God, and to enjoy Him forever. And I wonder if that's the first thing that comes into your mind when you think of Christianity. The, the talking about this uh, purpose in life is actually this relationship with our Creator and our Redeemer, the, the God of the universe, this actual relationship. It sounds crazy to think about, but that's the purpose of our existence, and it's the most satisfying thing mm-hmm. that this world and life eternal has to offer. Yeah, and you know, a similar thing, um, again, C.S. Lewis, he says, joy is the serious business of heaven. And we, particularly if you're a Christian, you should be experiencing joy in your life because the Christian story is a better story than the world can ever write. And there's joy and meaning and purpose in that that is so contrary to where we think those things actually are found. You know, we think those things can be found in our, in our work or in our education or in relationships or in hobbies or whatever. Um, but the fact of the matter is that when you're in right relationship with God, uh, there's a joy in that that is indescribable. Yeah. And so I think your average person on the street today would say, you know, my freedom is a really good thing. In fact, they'd probably, without articulating, they'd say it's probably the ultimate thing. Like, if I'm not free to choose whatever I want, then I'm not, I don't know who I am. I don't know what to do with myself. How did we get to that place? And what would you tell somebody who is thinking like, the ultimate thing in my life is to choose whatever I want to do? Yeah, that is such a great question. And I think this is one of those things where uh, we're not very good about looking backward, looking at what people who lived centuries before us who thought about these same questions came up with. But one of the things that's happened in particularly the last hundred years is freedom, which is a great thing. Freedom is a beautiful God-given thing. It's in the Declaration of Independence. It's one of those things that God grants to people. Um, But it's been very confused, the definition. So there's a difference between freedom and liberty and license. And license means basically freedom from all constraints, that you just do whatever you feel like doing. Classically, that is not ever what freedom meant, because license is bad for you, and it's bad for other people as well. And um, freedom is much more of the idea, I think a great way of thinking about freedom. How many of y'all have ever played tennis in your life? Okay, good showing again. Um, Imagine that you're trying to play tennis with someone who has an understanding that freedom equates with license, and that means you can do whatever you want to on the tennis court. And so you are serving the ball and trying to like play by the rules. Your opponent jumps over the net and comes to beat you over the head with his racket. That's license. He may have felt really good about doing that. Um, But that's not the point of tennis. That is not what makes for life and joy and all of that. What makes for a really great tennis match is when you have people that are gifted in tennis, who are playing by the rules, who are respecting, who are making good line calls, all of that. And there's joy in that competition because of playing by the rules. 
It's sort of the same thing. I don't know how many of you have ever driven in Manhattan. I do not recommend it. I drove a Volkswagen in Manhattan one time, and I'm still in therapy. But um, the, the idea is in Manhattan, when, sometimes when there is a power failure, all of the traffic lights go out. Okay, There are no traffic lights. And so everyone in the entire city just accelerates when that happens. <laughs> And in about 15 minutes, the entire city is paralyzed with gridlock. No one will let anyone go. Every intersection is just stopped. Whereas when you have the traffic lights working, even though there's a lot of traffic, it flows. So I think that misconception about license versus freedom, it's not freedom from so much as it is freedom to. Yeah, freedom is something that isn't just this amorphous thing. It has to do with what you were talking about earlier. Like, what is the purpose of something, right? So, like, the idea of, I've heard this illustration, like a fish in the water, right? Is the fish free when it's out on the beach or in the water? Where is it most free? Where is it flourishing, right? And it's in, obviously, the water. And so, the fish may be livid and upset that it can't just choose wherever to go out of, you know, of the sea, and be able to, to do what it wants, but nonetheless, we say that fish is totally free in, in the ocean. And I think if you've ever tried to learn an instrument or an athlete or anything like that, you know this principle of like ultimate freedom is actually not losing, or, or it's not actually uh, losing all restrictions, right? It's the presence of the right restrictions. So like when you're learning um, a new skill, whether it's um, a sport or an instrument, you sacrifice all sorts of things. You bind yourself to these strict rules to try and figure out how to play the guitar, let's say. And eventually, you get to that point where you've followed these rules that then maybe you can riff off of it and you're mm -hmm. free to play this beautiful music and that sort of thing. And I, I think the, the last illustration, like love, right? If you're in a, any sort of romantic relationship, loving relationship, you lose your freedom all the time, but that's what we all long for the most, right. is not yeah. just doing what I want to do, but sacrificing my, my rights so that I can enjoy this mutual relationship. So it's, it's like what you're saying, freedom isn't something, is it, it's not freedom from something, but what is the freedom to uh, that which is gonna make me flourish? Yeah, and I think it is deeply connected to the idea of worship. And worship is not really a word that we use a lot outside of religious context, but worship really applies across the board because we all worship something. And by worship, I mean give allegiance to, make it a priority. And um, one of the most profound movies about worship that you could ever watch is uh, called A Bug's Life. Um, I don't know if anybody's ever seen A Bug's Life, but it is actually a very profound movie about worship and, by, and about why what you worship matters. And I think a lot of us, you know, if you have studied uh, about ancient cultures and people that worship idols and all that, and we have the idea of people worshiping idols and going to the temple and bowing down to them and trying to appease the gods and, you know, all of those, all of those kinds of things. And we, we look down on that and think, oh, those people are so benighted. But then if you actually look at the way that a lot of our secular world lives, it's not really that different. It's different idols that have been substituted, but it is, it is really worship. And in our culture, 
Um, many people worship their careers. Uh, a lot of people may worship their own bodies, being just obsessed with being in shape. Um, there's so many things that people worship and put in that spot. And those are, right, like, um, I've heard a definition of idolatry, right? Like, you, you talked about, we tend to think of little figurines or something like that made of wood or stone or something that people are bowing down to. But really, it's a condition of our hearts. Mm -hmm. What are we uh, basically pledging our allegiance to the most? What are we trusting in the most? And um, oftentimes, I, I think what we do is we take these good things that God has created, right, and we end up ascribing to them ultimate significance. And we say, all right, without this, I will be lost. I will right. be undone. And that's probably where, you know, it, it can be a relationship with a person, a family member, a um, significant other. It could be the idea of security and financial mm -hmm. security. Like, there's all sorts of ways that I think we look at this in the, in the world. It's interesting, you're, we're talking about the first two commandments of what God said when he told his people. He led them out of Egypt, and he said, don't have any other gods, and don't worship idols. Mm -hmm. And we tend to think, like, oh, the commandments, like, that's such, like, a restrictive thing, right? But what we're trying to say is that these things lead to freedom. Yeah. I love the phrase in the worship that we have uh, for morning prayer, when we talk about God, in whose service is, is perfect, perfect freedom. freedom. Yeah. And that's a really radical way to think about it, but if we were designed for this relationship, and we were designed to pour ourselves out, which is what the Trinity itself is, pouring itself out among the persons of the Godhead uh, from all eternity. That's what we're called to model as well in the world. Right, and it's being called into this love because yeah. the one of the main images you find for the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in the Christian faith um, in the ancient writers is the fountain. And it's this fountain that is self-perpetuating and it's beautiful and it's cooling and refreshing and it's overflowing and so you can draw near to that and as you draw near to it that life and beauty and love and all of that overflows on you and it's the reason that jesus said the thief satan comes to steal and kill and destroy but i've come that they may have life and have it abundantly and that abundantly word is really important because God desires to give us joy. He desires for us to be able to write a much more beautiful story than any story that the world can write. And the problem is so many people have been sort of inoculated against Christianity by having sort of a weak idea of what Christianity is and they don't find joy in it and so they write it off rather than going deeper. It's kind of the same way if like you were going to try to play golf and you'd never taken a lesson and you went out the first time, not that I may have done this at one point <laughs> in my life, but your initial tee shot goes at a 90 degree angle to where it's supposed to and breaks the window in the starter's house. Um, you know, and you're like, okay, this is, this is not for me. This is not <laughs> something where I find joy. And sometimes we approach our faith like that and we give up and we don't ask for guides on the way or people that have been on that way of joy, people that we see that have the joy of the Lord and then we ask them, how can I begin to live into that? And I think that's part of the secret of it. Yeah. I think I see um, kind of two equal and opposite errors that people can often fall into when it comes to like this idea of God giving commands and, and talking about a relationship with God. One is like, okay, if God gives commands, then uh, 
it's all like Christianity then it's all just about following these rules and I think that really misses it all together and so I think I've seen some people react to that as well and go no 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 it's all about this relationship and it becomes like devoid of substance it becomes this like whatever I think God is and whatever I feel like him to be or whatever to be like I kind of make God and how I want it and what the Bible talks about is this wonderful blending of both um, a relationship, a loving relationship with God, and yet he, he tells us, all right, this is how this relationship's going to work. This is how it's going to provide joy and freedom for you. And one of the things I love, particularly about the Ten Commandments, like when we talk about them, usually people immediately hear commandment or rules, and they're like... Legalism. Legalism, yeah. right? But like what God did and when he gave the Ten Commandments, he like freely established his relationship with his people and he led them out of slavery into a new free land and he did that not while they were observing the rules and the statutes like he completely did it out of grace out of sheer love and then he said all right this is what this is who i am his law his commandments are a reflection of his character and and he says in being like this is what will ultimately bring you the most joy too. Yeah. And I think the other aspect of it is that it's so important when you're thinking about that to remember that you are, as a Christian, you're in relationship with a real person. That God is real and you can be in a relationship with him. And it's not just knowing about him or like having like your poster of in sync that people might have had 20 years ago with that boy band, um, you know, up on the wall like, oh, that's cool, but instead really realizing you can be in a relationship with God where he meets you and you experience the joy of his presence. And this is this is an example that's a little bit out there, but I was talking to Ethan earlier about what was the most exciting thing that happened to me this week, and probably the most exciting thing was I spent two and a half hours in a church service on Saturday. Now, most people would be like, oh, Two and a half hours in a church service on a Saturday? You've got to be kidding me. But it was the service for the consecration of the new bishop. There's this amazing music and incredible sermon. And really throughout the entire service, this real sense of the presence of the Holy Spirit where people were literally weeping for joy in the service. And the world cannot understand that. That just sounds crazy. But it's more real than anything else that you could experience in this world. Yeah, it was beautiful. It was amazing. Um, yeah, I think, uh, how are we doing on questions, actually? We, we've got plenty of them? Yeah, okay, all right. Well, then I will stop, and we will turn it over to questions. So as usual, if you could take a moment to browse the questions and give the ones you want to hear a thumbs up, that would be much appreciated. We'll, we'll take 30 seconds to do that. Yeah. As, as you do that, I would be remiss to, to not say, when we think about like the commandments of God, right, and his relationship, particularly this command to like not worship anything else but me, we recognize that we all break that. Like the, the message of Christianity is that we're constantly going after other things. And the whole message of Christianity, which is in some ways like portrayed in the book of Hosea, like mm -hmm. this unfaithful spouse, and he's and God's like, I am setting my affection on you, the unfaithful one, and 
I'm Call, pursuing you calling and you I am relentless. Relentlessly pursuing yes. you. Yeah. And so that in some ways the law we all we all break it and yet he runs after us and restores us. So that's the good news. Indeed. Yeah. First question. Can you do a somersault? <laughs> is that wait a somersault, is that like where you roll this way or where you go like this? I believe it's like sideways. Of course. Oh, cartwheel, cartwheel. No, somersault is the... Ethan can do a cartwheel. Head over heel. Yes, I can. Um, I used to be able to, but I wouldn't chance it now. <laughs> what role does freedom play in predestination? Oh, that's such a great question. Um, one of the reasons that's a great question is there are probably hundreds of books that are six to 800 pages long written on that topic. Um, many people think that freedom and predestination are mutually exclusive, and I would say that is a misunderstanding of things. Um, one of the most helpful ways, I think, of thinking of freedom and predestination is to remember the fact that God is outside of time. So God is over here and all of time is unfurling over here. So God can see every point of time as it's happening. And so there, there is, usually people say, do you believe in freedom or predestination? And my answer to that is yes. Uh, because I think they, they are not mutually exclusive. Yeah. Without predestination, you have pure moralism, I think, and ultimately there's no grace. Without freedom, predestination's empty, and there's no point to it. So, I would add. If you want to read more about that, there's a great section in Lewis's Mere Christianity about God being outside of time that's really helpful with that issue. How do you know when you, as a couple, are ready to get married? That is a, a very good question, too. Um, I would say that there are a number of factors that you would consider in that. Um, one is how long you have known each other, uh, what you have in common faith-wise. Uh, I think looking at the circumstances of your life is appropriate. And I also think um, leaning into prayer and the counsel of people who love both of you um, is very important in that as well. Um, but I think there's not a I think there's not a formula um, for that. Sometimes you just know. Um, what would yeah. you say to that? No, yeah, I, I think it's you, you don't ever want to put like a formula on there. I can I think we can say like okay, what it's not is when you do try to put a formula on it, right? And it's like, okay, well, we have to go at least a year or we, um, you know, it, whatever, five years, whatever it is. Um, it, not so much the, the time, uh, like quantity, I guess, but the quality of the relationship. And, and there is part of that where, basically the image I think about is if you're tracking with one another, you tr it does take time to truly know the other person. But you're both ideally seeking after the Lord, and eventually He's going to bring somebody right alongside of you, going in the same direction as you, and that is usually a good sign that this is probably going to be the person that your paths are going to be on the same trajectory for the rest of your lives. And so, 
um, all the things that you talked about, I would say, are part of that. Your your faith, um, your your goals for life, and that sort of thing. Uh, seeking the counsel of other people who know both of you, mm-hmm. um, and cultivate. Ultimately, it's not eros, right? Like it's the friendship, it's the right. agape, it's not the love. infatuation. Yeah, yeah. It, it it needs to be. Do you have a solid grounding of friendship, and do you both understand what marriage is, and what you're like? You have an equal understanding of what you're after in that. I think it's important too. And the other thing that I think is important is we have a very privatized view of marriage in our culture. Uh, that is sort of the idea that you get married to each other and then you live happily ever after kind of by yourself. Um, and that is totally not biblical. Um, it's, all, it's a great question to ask, is this a relationship where God can use the two of us together more powerfully than he could use either of us individually? And to look at what, what is your marriage, what, what gift would your marriage be to the kingdom of God? Um, because God chooses us to go forth in mission into this world and um, not to get married and like drop out. Yeah. Your marriage is bigger than your own home. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's a yeah. great point. Yeah, good stuff. How do I explain to my friends that Christianity is not just a set of rules we must follow? Say so you're on a good track by just saying that right there, you know? I mean, it's uh, honestly, you can't control how people internalize things. I think one of the things we talk about a lot is how we could say the same thing over and over and over, and then like years later, someone would be like, I just heard that like Christianity is not a set of rules that you're supposed to follow. You're like, we've been telling you this for years. Like, what's the deal? So you can't control how people, when, when they kind of have their eyes come open. I would say that's the first thing. Um, but I would say there's a couple things, right? Like, so live by setting an example of a, a joyful relationship with God where it's very clear that you're not just doing a set of rules yourself. That's a really key thing. Um, and, and being able to, you know, have opportunities to talk about God's grace, right? Like, that it's not, grace isn't just a second chance at doing better. But God's grace is his love on the unworthy and the unlovely that makes them lovely. I think that's what Christianity is all about. And I think another key part of that is the whole thing that you see with Jesus right in the beginning of the Gospel of John, um, where he says, come and see. You know, he's not, Jesus never tries to argue anyone into the faith. And what he does is he invites people in. And I think the more that you invite people into times with your Christian friends, um, you invite them even into worship. Worship is powerful. And a lot of times we think people are not going to like that because they don't understand it. But bringing somebody to a worship service that is powerful and joyful, um, that will get their attention. Um, and I think another part of it, too, is helping people understand that Christianity is a more beautiful story than what the world wants to write. Um, I'm a big believer in the Lord of the Rings as a great gateway um, for people, because Tolkien wrote that very intentionally to describe many aspects of the Christian faith. And certainly there are times in that story where there's deep sadness, but there's also unbelievable beauty and joy in it as well. And I think as people begin to appreciate that and understand that Christianity is not dry and sterile and legalistic, that it will change their point of view.
this one is uh, from all the single people in the room. What's the best first date idea besides going to dinner? The best. That's a lot of pressure. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> um, I think going to dinner is good. I think going on a walk somewhere that's beautiful is maybe um, even better than going to dinner. Um, what is not a good first date is going to a movie um, because you can't talk to the person during the movie. And if you do, like I did when I was a teenager, and you pick really the wrong movie to go to with a date, um, it can be really bad. I still remember, y'all are too young to know what this movie is, but there's a really awesome movie called The Mission um, that is about missionaries in Latin America um, in the early 17th century, I think. And it is profound and awesome so movie, but it is devastating. I mean, at the end of it, you want to just go crawl into a little hole and weep. And I went on a first date to that movie with someone, and I couldn't even talk. I mean, it was just awful. So yeah, don't do that. Um, but going on a walk is really a good thing. Um, things that are sort of out, out of the box, but Charleston has these great art walks Doing an art walk with somebody can be a great thing and seeing how they respond to the different paintings. Um, I, I'm a big believer in doing things outside um, that I think there's just something about being, um, assuming it's good weather, uh, yeah, being outside somewhere that's beautiful, that's conducive to having meaningful conversation. Yeah, that's good. But I did find the best Yes. First date. Yeah. Yes. You invite them to theology on tap. Obviously, that's what you do. You could do that. I mean, yes. I don't absolutely. know how. Else. No, but uh, that might not be a bad first date because yeah. But I think that um, honestly, like going and, and doing like sorts of outreach or service together, like going and serving in the soup kitchen, going and serving together, doing it with group. Like your date doesn't have to be just the two of you <laughs> like yep. it can be with other people too and sometimes that's even better because there's much less pressure that I way. think that's yeah, yeah honestly like you're you're trying to get to know somebody and who they really are and um, in addition to all the great things you said I would offer up um, something like that too and the other thing I would say is that part of what makes for a good date is you need to learn to ask good questions yeah that's um, part of the problem is we get stuck in these same questions like what do you do where are you from, um, you know, things like that. But if you switch to things that are more, tell me about the greatest joy you experienced recently, or tell me what's your favorite place that you've ever been on vacation and why. What's your favorite book? You know, those kinds of things, you get more insight into a person's heart than you do from just getting sort of the, the Facebook information questions about them. How do you make decisions when you feel overcome by worry about what might happen next? Yeah, that's we've we've talked a little bit about yeah, that. That is a very real thing, um, and I think that many of us find that it we feel like we're almost overcome by worry every day about things. And I think one of the 
One of the important things in that is to um, look at the framework of your life before you look at that, that specific issue. Because sometimes the reason that we're overcome with anxiety about decisions is that we're living in a way where we have no framework or values in our life. And so every decision becomes this momentous life and death kind of thing. Whereas if we have built a framework in our life of things that are important, which might be our relationship with God, our friendships, um, our worship, um, things like that. If you've got some of those things in place first, it makes it a little bit easier not to, this is not really a word, to awfulize um, about each decision you have to make. But I also think another way to help deal with that, that is a scriptural way, is to seek counsel. Sometimes we're not very good about seeking counsel. And I was delighted um, the other day, a friend of mine called who has something coming up in the future, job-related, and he was just asking for counsel about how to approach that. That's wisdom to seek counsel. And to seek counsel and to seek prayer, if you know that somebody's willing to give you counsel and that they're praying for you, that takes a lot of pressure off. Yeah, I think this is, in, in one way, I'm going to go back and say the whole predestination free will thing. You want to see how they come together. It's in this right here. Like, doing, using your free will to go and seek counsel, to get away and get quiet. Like, Jesus often went away to a quiet place alone and prayed and thought and meditated. Like, those are important things, and we don't do that enough. Um, I, I think searching the scriptures yourself with, with other friends, too, seeking counsel, um, but then ultimately just trusting that God is our loving Father who's in charge of all things, and He's going to work it out to the good. And I'll just be really honest without getting into a lot of the details. I was facing a really serious decision in my own life. I had two or three options, and um, I mean, it was a big, big decision, and I made this choice, and it didn't work out, and it didn't work out pretty quickly, and then within a couple, like, literally weeks, the other option fell right into place. Mm-hmm. And so in some ways, you make it, like, make a decision and go to sleep at night. And just rest knowing that you have a father who knows more about your world and about you than you do. And he right. cares about you more. Yes. And he's in charge. And it's going to be okay. And he's more interested in accomplishing his will in your life than you are. Yeah. And that, that is a good thing to remember. That's right. These are really good questions, y'all. Any practical tips for overcoming substance abuse? Yeah. Yes. So substance abuse is a real thing that I think a lot of people are dealing with. And one of the, the issues is that we often think this is something we ought to be able to master on our own. And I will say in all of my advanced years of decades and decades of um, talking with people who are struggling with substance abuse, I don't know anybody who has overcome that on their own. So I think the first step, obviously, is to pray about it. But I also think to pray for discernment about someone to share that struggle with. Um, it might be a priest, it might be a counselor, it might be a close friend. Um, because if you, the, it's again like we were talking about last time, when you have secret sin, things that you're hiding, that is where Satan can get power in your life and when you bring it out into the light and share it with someone and are willing to be vulnerable enough to do that 
then that can make a big difference. And you know, there are a lot of practical things like avoiding the places where temptation can happen, um, avoiding the places where you can get the substances, um, planning in advance, uh, particularly if you're living a really busy life. Most of us live lives where there's not much margin, and so we get consumed with um, things that happen at the last minute. And we sometimes have a choice between do this where it's a situation that I know might not be good for me or sit at home alone. And we choose the situation that might not be good for us rather than being alone. Whereas if we planned more to be with people where we know that's not gonna happen, that can make a difference. Yeah, I think that um the movie Walk the Line came to my mind with like uh, uh, Johnny Cash where he's totally at the end of his rope and he ends up basically just going in this detox period but, but he's got somebody with him right and it's this person who cares for him and he goes through it so even the secular understanding of like this can't be done alone and I love what you're talking about Proverbs 28 talks about he who conceals his sins doesn't prosper but whoever confesses and renounces them will find mercy, and it's bringing it into the light that's half the battle, right? But it's it's when you get to that place, what they call rock bottom, but just despair, despairing of yourself is actually a very wonderful, terrifying, but wonderful place to be. And it's in that moment, don't let that moment pass. Go and meet with other people uh, and, and bring that into the light. Avoid the opportunities, right? But... Um, there's plenty, I mean, talk to us, talk to AA, talk to anybody. There's lots of help out there, but don't let that opportunity pass where you're actually, I have a problem and I want to give it up. Uh, the first thing I think the enemy wants to do is to minimize the significance of it. Don't worry about that. That was just this weird feeling. Yeah, yeah it's yeah, under control. Yeah, yeah. Those are all the things that it'll be really easy to just let that happen. So, don't. And I would, I would just add that if, if this is from somebody in this room, I guarantee you know at least one person here tonight that would be willing to sit down and, and listen to you and, and try to help. So, yeah. yeah, for sure, including both of us. Yeah, thanks, Paul. Good. What do you do when you feel like you've been praying to God the same prayer for years? <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think that we have a lot of examples of that in scripture, and I think sometimes the answer to it is you keep praying the same prayer to God <laughs> for years, and that it is resolved in eternity in a way that we may not understand. But I also think you know, there are a lot of ways you can interpret that question. Uh, I think one of the things about prayer is that persistence in prayer is important. So I'll just tell quick little story about that. I had a dear friend when I was much, much younger, um, and I was I was right out of college, and I was helping with the youth group, and there was this kid in the youth group that I was pretty close to, and he was just a determined atheist, and it drove me crazy, because he was really smart, I thought he was smart enough to be able to figure out he ought to be a Christian, but he just didn't, and I kept praying for him, and I prayed for him, and I prayed for him all through high school, he was still an atheist. I prayed for him every day, all through college, he was still an atheist. I prayed for him for like four or five years after college, he was still an atheist, and I'm praying the same thing every day, and I'm like, what's the deal, you know? Um, 
And then all of a sudden, just out of the blue, he called me one day and he said, I gave my life to Jesus today. And so you just, you just never know. And so the timing of the answer to prayer, you know, you've probably heard this, that the, sometimes the answer to prayer may be yes, sometimes it may be no, and sometimes it may be not yet. And so being faithful and continuing to pray is good, but also trusting that the Lord knows what's best for you. And the Lord knows the timing. I've probably said before, one of my favorite scripture verses is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. And so I think that that's part of it. And you, know, you may not, whatever it is you're praying for may not happen. Uh, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't be praying for it. Yeah, I think that one of the major ways we hear this, I think, is usually in finding a spouse. I think that's one of the biggest ones. And there's, I don't know if you told me the story or Jeff told me the story, somebody of praying that prayer for decades. Yes, that was probably me. Yeah. About my friend. Yeah. I had this friend who was this just amazing Christian woman who had a really huge impact on literally hundreds of people and all she really wanted was to get married. And she was living full out for God, and she was getting older and older, and there were no men in her life. And finally, she just, she did keep praying, but she was like, I think maybe God is just calling me to be single, and I'm gonna embrace that, and I'm gonna find joy in that, and not feel like I'm less than because of that. And so she continued to lean into all of her extreme giftedness, she got a fellowship to go do a doctorate at Oxford that was all paid for. Um, and when she was 48 in her doctoral program, she met this other guy in her doctoral program who was 48, who had also never been married, who was this incredible, deeply Christian man. And they got married and had the most beautiful relationship. But yeah, she had really just given that over to God and she'd been praying literally for decades but it had taken that long to meet that guy yeah and I think I mean you, there's going to be uh, of course instances where people are praying for this thing that they keep praying and praying and praying for and it may it never, never happen. Made happen and I think that's the reality okay one it I think it brings a tear to God's eye in some sense like he has compassion on the broken hearted but also, on the other side of the resurrection, the object of our heart's desire, that thing that we're longing for so much, will in some way be found in, in the new heavens and the new earth with God himself. Yeah, and there was a great story. I would encourage you, if you weren't at St. Philip's on Sunday, the archbishop um, preached a great sermon on Sunday. And part of it, he was talking about the parable of Lazarus and the rich man. And he talked about Lazarus, this poor man, lying there at the gate, diseased, sore, you know, unable to feed himself, terrible clothing, and the ultimately dying. But how in the parable Jesus says that when he got to heaven, he was rewarded and he had all of these things that he had not experienced in his life that he experienced in heaven, where there was great joy being um, in the bosom of God and all of that. So, um, you know, when you have that perspective that eternal life is a real thing, that helps reorder the way you think about that. One more? One more. How can you be honest with others about where you are and what you are struggling with 
without becoming entirely focused on the negative. How can you focus on where... Say that one yeah, more time. Where you are, honestly. How can you be honest with others about, you know, being disappointed with your life or, or struggling with things uh, without being entirely focused on the negative? Mm -hmm. Well, I'll say a couple of things okay. on this one, maybe. Uh, a, I think we can be often... I think that's a good question. And we can be a little nervous that if we just say negative things that the person want wouldn't want to hear us and i would say that if we're living with good relationships uh, we should actually assume that people would actually want to know us as we really are and so not having the courage to be honest even if it is all bad that people want to hear it and that's okay uh, and and yet i think there's also something good to that question of uh, focusing even in the darkest places of our lives the idea of, of gratitude is, I think, one of those really, really key disciplines to help against depression, against uh, anxiety. Those are, uh, it's really the biggest thing that I know that can help. Um, and that doesn't minimize the hard and the difficult and the ugly that's going on, but I think those, those go in tandem. Yeah, I would really agree with that. And there's a lot of um, really interesting research that's coming out about complaining um, that even if you just Google complaining versus gratitude study or something like that, a lot of things will come up. But basically what it finds is the more you complain about how bad things are in your life, the more depressed you get um, and the more that you find that you have to complain about. Whereas on the other hand, if you focus on what you have to be grateful for, even in the midst of times that are really difficult, um, you begin to experience hope and joy. So I think there's a fine line there because we want to be honest um, with our feelings. Um, but if you find that every time you get together with someone, you feel like you just need to unload all of these things that are going wrong, that's probably a sign that you need to do some reframing um, in your own life, not to minimize that there are things that are difficult, because we all go through seasons where it's really, really, really hard, and we need people who will walk through us with that valley. But at the same time, even in those times, there is uh, plenty that we can be thankful for. That's good. Well, y'all, this is so much fun. We love this every time. Thank y'all for coming out. Feel free to stick around. We'll be around. If you have any other questions, come talk. Hang out, uh, tip Clark. Clark, thank you so much. Is he here? No, he's not, but I love Clark. Let's give it up for Clark. And check out the podcast. That's right. Come back, not next week, but two weeks. Every other week. And uh, we'll be back here and uh, bring a friend who needs to come. Yeah. Y'all have a good one. Thanks for coming.